0: And we are going to continue with our focus on discipleship. So Pastor Theo, over the last couple of weeks, has been talking about this theme for us for the years, growing as disciples. And we're going to continue on that today. Kevin and I had, um, and actually Sarah, who lives with us, we got to sit down and watch a documentary this last week, and it was a powerful documentary. It was about the fastest growing church in the world right now, which is the underground church in Iran. Isn't that amazing? The fastest growing church right now at present is the underground church in Iran. Uh, I love it. I love that. I love how God works in the midst of dark circumstances, doesn't he? Um, He will work anywhere that there's hunger, and there is hunger right now. the people of iran and we're watching this documentary and one one of the the statements that that one of the leaders leaders in the church made and you can't can't see their their face face, and you can't even hear their voice because because of you know the persecution persecution in their country country. it's It's all being filtered but what they said was is that said when persecution hits the church which they're walking in on a daily basis is that when persecution hits the church they see what we see is that the churches that are just trying to make converts they collapse they're destroyed really quickly when persecution comes they he said, but the churches that are making disciples are the ones that you cannot shut down. They just go underground, and they continue to multiply. Because Jesus actually never commanded us to go and just make converts, did he? When he gave us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go into all the world and do what? He said, make disciples. And that's different. It is a lot easier to make a convert than it is to make a disciple. But sometimes this whole concept of discipleship can feel intangible to us, and that's why we are, as a church, we're digging into the Word and saying, God, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean for me personally? And then what does it mean for me to make disciples as well? And so we're today, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is this. It's cleansed by the Word. Cleansed by the Word. And we're going to be talking about an aspect of discipleship today. And so I I wanna start start in John John chapter eight because this this is one of the, I guess you could say, quintessential quintessential passages about discipleship discipleship because because Jesus Jesus actually defines very simplistically what what it means to be a disciple in John John chapter eight. Now we wanna take take a look at verses 31 and 32 in the New King King James James Version. In John John chapter eight, 31, it says, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, listen, he says, if you abide in my word, You are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do we have that up there? Awesome. I want us to read this out loud together, okay? I want us to read John chapter eight, 31 and 32, these words from Jesus. And as we read them, let's allow the Holy Spirit to begin to bring these words to life in our own heart. Ready, read. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oh, what an amazing statement that Jesus makes. He's talking to these Jews who believe in him. They're following him, and he's saying, if you want to be my disciples, you've got to know this. This is foundational to you walking the life of a disciple. He said, if you abide, someone say abide. Abide. If you abide in my word, that word abide just means to stick in, to continue in, to be planted in, to not remove yourself from. If you abide in not just some words or not good words. He said, if you abide in, what does he say? My words. If you abide in my words, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Anyone in here like freedom? i like freedom and when you read through the gospels you see jesus bringing freedom everywhere he goes and he does it with his words jesus would bring freedom to people who were being diminished when the disciples didn't want the children to come to him jesus said no no, let the children come to me and he gave value to something that had not been given value to before and he brought freedom in that situation But not only that, think about how Jesus would remove limitations and bring freedom. When he cursed the fig tree, and him and his disciples came back and saw it, and they're like, Master, how is this even possible? He's like, you don't understand. You can speak to this mountain and say, be removed. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe those things which you say, you can have whatever you ask for. I mean, mind-blowing. What is he doing? He's bringing freedom with his words, by shifting mindsets, taking off limitations. Think about how he brought freedom to people who are under shame and under condemnation. When they caught the woman in the act of adultery and they brought her out for Jesus to condemn her and for everyone to stone her, Jesus begins writing on the ground and all of a sudden his, the accusers of this woman begin to scatter and he looks and if he says, woman, where are your accusers? And he says, neither will I accuse you either. Go and sin no more. What is, what is he doing? He's liberating that woman in that moment from the condemnation and the death penalty that she was under. How is he doing it? With his words. Jesus gave freedom by giving purpose. And we know simplistically he would come to the disciples as he was calling them, and he said, Hey, Hugh, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What is he doing? He's bringing freedom to these men's lives by giving them significance, by giving them purpose. And how is he doing it? through his words when I was coming before the Lord and I was praying about what to share this week I felt like the Lord took me to John 15 and I love John 15 so I was excited I'm like thinking about the vine the vine dressers I love John 15 so I started reading through John 15 but something stuck out to me that was a little bit different than I anticipated so if you have your Bible I encourage you open up to John chapter 15 we're going to look at the first three or four verses together in John chapter 15, let me just remind you of the context where we're coming to is that Jesus is with the 11. Okay, At this point, Judas has already gone off to betray him. It's the night before he's gonna be crucified and we have these beautiful chapters in the book of John leading up to Jesus' crucifixion where he is imparting the deepest parts of his heart to his disciples before he goes away. And that's where we are in John chapter 15 and Jesus says this in verse one, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now listen, Jesus is talking to the disciples and they have been living with him and walking with him for the last 3 years. I mean, they've been with him continuously, seeing him do miracles, but sitting under his what? His words. his words, hearing his words, hearing his words, hearing his words. And Jesus is telling them, "Hey, I am the source. I am the true vine." And he begins to unpack that how this relationship works between the vine and the branches, and he says how we need to be in him, and even as we're in him, if we don't bear fruit, we can get cut off, but how the Father will prune us to bear more fruit, but then we come to verse three, and it's like he shifts directions for a second, and he says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you, and then he continues and says, abide in me, and I in you, and it was that statement that I feel like the Holy Spirit just kind of I don't know if you've ever read the word, and it just kind of pops out at you. And I knew that's what the Holy Spirit was drawing my attention to, where he said, you are already clean because of what? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. What a statement. Now, is Jesus talking about them being physically clean? No. He's not talking about them having bathed that day. That's not what he's talking about. He says to his disciples, to these 11 men that have been walking with him day in and day out. Hearing him, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Just hearing these words wherever he goes. He says, I want you to know there is a cleaning that has happened on the inside of you. Not on the outside, but on the inside of you. There is a cleansing that has happened. Why? Because of these words that have been coming out of my mouth and into your ears. And then where do they go? Into our heart. It's the state of their heart that Jesus is speaking to And he's saying, you have been abiding in me and I want you to show you how this works as you abide in me and my words abide in you as my words come and take presence and residence inside of you. There is a cleansing in your life that happens. This word to clean in the Greek, it's katharos and it means pure, refined by fire. Listen to this, free from what is false, blameless and unstained. Man, what a statement for Jesus to look at you and say, you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. This is not the only place in scripture that we see reference to how the word of God is a cleansing agent in our life. We also see this very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is one of those verse, sections of scripture that we always go to usually at weddings, or if you're in marriage counseling, you always go to Ephesians chapter 5, because it's a beautiful passage about husbands and wives, but I want to show you this truth in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5, of how the word of God washes us. In Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. We love that, wives, we like hearing that. Husbands, love your wives. How has Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? It's powerful imagery and exhortation. But look at verse 26. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Listen, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, how? With the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. We begin to see that, yes, this is an exhortation of husbands, but even more than that, it is a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus for his bride, the heart of Christ for his church, and it says that just as husbands should love their wives, it says Christ love the church. Now, always insert yourself, okay, when you hear that. Whenever we hear the word church, we're not talking about buildings. We're not talking about denominations or organizations. We are talking about the body of Christ, which you are. Can you say, I am? I am. We are the body of Christ. And so it says that Jesus loved us. He loved us so much that what did he do? He gave himself, right? He laid down his life. I love John 10 talks about no one made him do it. He did it of his own volition. He laid himself down because we needed it. And he was so desperately in love with us that he laid himself down for us. But it says he doesn't stop there. Because we, as his bride, we were intended. Listen to me. You and I were intended for holiness. When we were walking with God, in a sense, in Adam and Eve, right, there was a purity that was innate to how we were created. That's what we were intended for, was purity, That freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, that's what you and I were meant to walk in. But when sin entered the world, there was a tainting that entered into our lives that we were never meant for. The bondage that we encounter that becomes so common now, right? The way that we walk in pride and criticism, lust, the perversity of our world, the negativity, the cynicism of our world, all of that taints us. It weighs us down. It burdens us. And Jesus here is saying, my bride, you were never intended for that. You were intended for purity, for holiness. That's what I made you for. And he says that Jesus gives himself for his bride, but he doesn't stop at just giving himself for us. It says that he does this, that he might sanctify, set us apart, and cleanse us with the washing of the water by the word. That we're not without hope. It's not like, okay, just until I get to heaven, I just have to deal with all of this junk. He's saying, no, yes, there is complete and total redemption that's going to happen in heaven. But even now, even today, there is a cleansing that he has promised for you and I to walk in. There is a purification of the inside of us to deal with the issues that limit our life. And he says, this is how it comes. Abide in me. And what What does it look like like to abide abide in him? Allow me to to wash wash you with my words. Just like he told his disciples, you are already clean. Why? Because of the words that I've spoken to you. The word of God, when it comes into our life, the word of God can literally begin to wash away the junk that we inherited by coming into this world and into our families. It begins to wash away the bondages that the enemy has sucked us into when we were even at young ages. The word of God is so powerful that there is nothing that is tainted, diminished, or wounded our life that it can't begin to chip off and completely remove from. We have to believe that as a people of God, that the word of God is what Jesus says it is, that it has the power to cleanse us, that it has the power to free us. Jesus said, the people who are walking with me and abiding in my word, those are my disciples. Let me tell you about my disciples. They know truth. But they don't only know truth. The truth that they know, it sets them free. There is a level of freedom. And I'm not talking about externally, like we were just talking about the church in Iran. These people are not free to worship God. But as I was hearing their testimonies, can I tell you, they were free. Because of what? Because the word of God has renewed and cleansed and sanctified them. And that's what God wants to do with us on a daily basis. He loves us too much to leave us where we're at. And that is the call to discipleship is to allow the word of God to come into our lives in such a way that it begins to cleanse us, that it begins to renew us. It begins to bring freedom to us. I love this picture. It's just like a bride before a groom. And the bride picks up or a bride comes in just with dirt all over her. And how many of you know that is not the way that a bride is supposed to be, right? Imagine you get up and you look back when the bride's walking in and she's just filthy,
1: There's just something that's like, wait, that is not
0: okay, right? I know, women, we spend days getting ready for our wedding because it's supposed to be a thing of beauty. And here's this bride who's just filthy, and instead of the groom shunning her or being embarrassed by her, turning her away, what does he do? He walks towards her with water and with a washcloth and begins to tenderly wipe away those things that have tainted her and begin to reveal the beauty that is underneath all of that grime. And Jesus says, this is what I wanna do with my bride. This is what he wants to do with each and every one of us, that he wants to bring the cleansing of his word. Hebrews 4.12, I know you've heard it before, it's a common scripture, but again, we need to get a picture of how powerful the word of God truly is in our life. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and powerful. I'm reading it from the NLT, it says it's alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirits, between joint and marrow, and it exposes, oh my goodness, it exposes, or I know in the King James it says it's a discerner of, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Listen to this. This is the word of God. When it comes into our life, and you can be sitting under the word of God being preached to you like today, or you can be opening up your Bible Sitting in the train on the way to work. And when you come in, and we're going to talk about the posture of our heart when we come to it. But when you come to it, there's something that is innate in the power of the word of God. That when you open up your heart to it, it literally can come in and it begins to cut. It's another picture for the cleansing effect. It comes in and it begins to cut and it says it can literally divide soul and spirit. Now a lot of times we bump over that thinking, well what does that even mean, soul and spirit? Spirit is the Greek word for pneuma. And it means that part of us that becomes alive when we say yes to Jesus, that part of us that was previously dead, that part of us that will live forever. It is the spirit within us that is connected to the very spirit of God that wants to do right, right, that yearns to walk in God's truth. It's that part of us that is renewed and born again, but then we have a soul, and that soul is the Greek word for psyche, And we're familiar with that because of psychology and all of that, it's this soulish part, it's this emotion, this will. Uh, It's all of my past history, right? That's inside of me that can war against my spirit because it's been in this world, it's been damaged by this world, it's been exposed to evil. And so inside of me, I've got part of me that is renewed and right with God, right? And then I've got this soul in me that has to be sanctified. That's gotta be cleansed, that's gotta be renewed. And it says the word of God comes in and they'll literally cut between the two so that you and I can discern what is what inside of us. So that we can know what is really God saying and what is my soul fighting against. It says it will literally come in and it will expose inside of us these hidden motive of our heart. I don't even know why I do that. I don't know why I explode on my spouse like that. I don't know why I get so angry. I don't know why I get so fearful. And it says the word of God will come in and it will begin to reveal to us. That's the root, that's the issue. Do you remember where you were young and you made that vow or that promise that no one would ever hurt you again? That is why you continue to defend yourself like that, even when you are safe. See, the word of God comes in and it will begin to show us these areas where the enemy has stolen and continues to steal from us. Are you getting a picture? This is powerful. We are not lacking. We are never lacking as the people of God and as disciples of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? He is his word. We wonder, why is it that the word is so powerful? Because in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. And he was with God and he was God. That's what John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us. But then John 1:14 continues and it tells us that the word became what? Became Flesh. So when we come to the word of God, and I'm not talking about a book, but I'm talking about the truth that is inerrant in this book, it is literally Jesus that I'm coming to. I'm coming to Jesus, and it's because I'm coming to Jesus, when I allow his words to come inside of me, there's nothing that it cannot transform. There's nothing that it cannot bring freedom to, because he is his word. Is that making sense? making He is his word, and that's why Jesus told his disciples, he's saying, you were already cleansed. Why? Because these words I've been speaking to you, they are truth. They are life, and they have been breaking down the things of the enemy inside of you and bringing you freedom. I'm preaching myself happy. I hope you guys are are catching this too. James 1.21 says this. It says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. It says, Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, all the things that taint, all the things that weigh us down. And it says, How does this happen? It says, Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it, listen, it, that word that God plants in our hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. What did we just, just talk, talk about? about? It has the power to save. And if you were here a couple weeks ago and Kevin spoke about this word for save, it's the Greek word sozo. And it means it's, it is holistic salvation. It's deliverance, it's healing, it's renewal, it's restoration. It is everything that we need to live the abundant life that Jesus has called us to. And he's saying, you, we have to get rid of this filth that keeps trying to cling to us. And the way that we do it is we humbly sit under the word of God. We humbly come and receive it and in it is the power to bring restoration, healing, deliverance to our souls. It's all there. It's all inside of the word. Now I wanna read to you from John chapter 13. We're gonna take it back a little bit from where we were in John 15. Remember we're the night before Jesus is being crucified. He's been sharing and teaching his disciples some like extremely essential truth for them to walk out the mission he's giving them. But in John chapter 13, we back it up that night just a little bit, and there's this interaction between Jesus and his disciples that I believe brings to light in a very physical and tangible way Jesus' heart to cleanse us with his word. And it comes from John 13, verse 6. And it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, listen, this is such a beautiful picture. So Jesus is here at the last night with his disciples, and he tells them he's going to wash their feet. And Peter, being Peter, is like, no, 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 no. Like, you're master, you're Lord, you cannot wash my feet. And listen to these words that Jesus says in verse 8. He says, unless I wash you, listen, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Remember, it's just in John chapter 15, he's gonna say, you gotta abide in me. You gotta let my words abide in you. He's saying, if I don't wash you, Peter, if I don't wash you, and again, and we're not just talking about this physical washing, we're talking about this washing that Jesus wants to do with his word. He says, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And it's how we partake of Jesus. It's how we abide in him, is we let him wash us with his word. He says, says, "If if you don't let me wash you, You have no part with me. And I love Peter's zeal. He's like, all right, then sign me up, right? Like, give me the full body treatment, right? Not just my feet, do my hands, do my head. I love Peter. He's just got such zeal, right? It it swings in different directions, but he's got zeal and passion. And Jesus is like, whoa, buddy, all right? Well, we don't need to do all of that. He says, you are already clean, right? Making the same statement he's going to make in John chapter 15. You are already clean. But he says, but not all of you. And there's this powerful picture because the disciples, as they walk with Jesus, as they were out in everyday life with him, their feet got dirty. Because we're not called to be separate from the world, right? We're called to be in the world. But anytime you go out in the world, what happens? Your feet get dirty. For the disciples, it was literally dirt, right? But for us in our jobs, even sometimes with our families, with our friends, opening up the media, our feet get dirty, Right? We we pick pick up up things, things, and it happens, and it's normal. But but Jesus said, but I want to wash you. you. As those things come and start clinging to you, let me wash you. Don't go a day without letting me wash you. Right? Isn't it just the idea? Maybe this is more weird to me than to you. But if your feet got really dirty, like you're out at the beach, you know, and they're just covered in sand... The thought of getting into bed that night, not washing your feet, like how gross is that? Like that just gives me the heebie-jeebies, like the idea of bringing sand into the bed. Anyone else like, yeah, that is wrong? Like that is wrong. You don't do that. And Jesus is saying, don't go a day without letting me wash your feet. Don't go a day with allowing just the filth that happens from being in this world not to get washed and cleansed off of you. And we see this beautiful picture of our Savior who is willing to get down on his knees to make sure that the dirt between Peter's toes was taken care of, because he loved him. And it's the same picture that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, where it says that our Savior gave himself for us, but now he wants to cleanse us. And it's not something that he wants to do just every once in a while. No, this is a daily expression of his love for us, that he says, let me wash you let me cleanse you let me cleanse you from all the things that attract themselves and get on you from the conversations that you hear we have two sources to our heart our eyes and our ears and it is foolish for me and for you to believe that the things that come in our eyes and our ears don't affect us internally even the greatest most mature person out there everyone is affected by what comes in their eyes and comes in their ear, they're the two sources that we see very clearly laid out in Proverbs to our heart. And Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it comes the issues of your life. It says every day when we see billboards, every day when we turn on the radio, every day when we have conversations, our heart is being affected. It is, it is, it just, it happens. Everything that comes in our eyes and ears has an effect on us internally. And yet Jesus says, but I have something that will wash you. I have something that will cleanse you. When you're hearing words of fear, I have something that will come and replace it with faith. Right? When you begin to hear words of worry, I have something that will come and renew your mind with my love. Right? He has something. He has the greatest solvent out there, which is the water of the word. You know, they talk about water being the universal solvent because it can dilute and remove more things than any other liquid. The power of the word of God is ten times that, and its ability to come in and cleanse that which is on us, limiting us, tainting our lives in any way. But how do we receive this washing? So you might be like, okay, Jessica, I see it. Jesus wants to cleanse us with his word. What does that look like? What does that mean? And I hope... That you're okay with feet, because we're going to look at one more feet story, okay, guys? Before we continue, that's going to help us to see how do we posture ourselves to let Him wash us with His word. And it's from Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, it says in verse 38, I'm actually going to read this to you in the Passion Translation, so it might not be up on the screens. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Listen to this Mary sat attentively before the Master, absorbing every revelation that he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, Don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. Anyone else? Like, man, I think I've said those kind of things before. Like, I so see myself in Martha. It says, then the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take that privilege from her. In that day and age, in in Judaism, the teachers, you'll have heard this, were called rabbi. And the rabbi had those that followed them, and they either called them to follow them or the students chose to follow them and these students of rabbis were called disciples or in the Hebrew they were called talmudim and these talmudim the posture that they would take the way that you would see a rabbi and know who his talmudim were was that the the rabbi when he taught he didn't teach like this usually he actually taught sitting down so he'd be seated and he'd have his talmudim or his disciples would sit at his feet And that was how you knew you had a rabbi and his disciples because they were seated at his feet attentive to his words because the whole point of a rabbi teaching them was teaching them how to live like him. And so the talmudim would be around him listening to his words, watching his life so that they could become like him, become a disciple. And it's such a beautiful picture because here we see Mary and it says that as soon as Jesus came into the home, it said that Mary sat down attentively before the master before the rabbi absorbing every revelation that he shared what i want you to see in mary this morning is just her her humility and her hunger that there was this humility and hunger in mary that brought her straight to the feet of jesus attentive to his voice hungry for what it is that he wanted to say And in that, Martha gets upset because she's distracted. She's got a lot of stuff going on. And she's like, come on, why isn't she helping me? And I want you to catch this. Mary in this moment is getting cleansed because her heart is open, hungry, and humble before the words that are coming out to her. She's getting cleansed in this moment, but Martha is not. But can I show you two things that I felt like the Holy Spirit really brought to my attention about Martha? And can I tell you, I I so often struggle with being Martha because I'm a person who likes to get stuff done. I don't know if it's my personality or my Americanism. I don't know. But I just like to get stuff done. And so I can feel it war against my spirit at times to just come and sit and be still and to hunger after the words of Jesus. And the two things that I saw that I felt like, man, these can be such deceptive things for us in the, in the church, church is that number one is that martha had close, close proximity, proximity to jesus, to jesus yet she, she wasn't being discipled she, she was, was in the room but she but wasn't she sitting at his feet. feet and proximity can be so, so deceptive, deceptive sometimes because we, we, be be we can be, be around things of the church we can be around even services right, right? we can, can be around christian people we can be reading christian books listening to christian radio But there's no times that we're actually just coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear him. And so proximity, I can feel like I'm a disciple because I'm around all of it. I'm around like the swirl of Christianity, but I'm not actually sitting at his feet. The other point that I saw here is just busyness. Busyness, and I see it again in myself, busyness produces a misorientation of our priorities that actually makes us prideful. And in In that, prohibits prohibits us from receiving what God wants to do and what he wants wants to say say in our life. Listen Listen, to me. And again, telling you, this this was like like hitting me so hard as I was even studying this. this. Because Because Jesus Jesus looks looks at Martha after Martha is like, like, come on, Jesus. Like, tell my sister to get in line. Get off her booty and come help me, right? And Jesus is like, Martha. And I love he's like, my beloved Martha. He says to her, he says, are these things really that important? Are these things really that important? What is he doing? With one question, he's exposing her priorities. And this is what the word of God does. With one question, he says, Martha, are these things really that important? Because here is the son of God speaking words of life, and Martha is busy doing household chores, which are a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But he's saying, but your understanding of that which is more important has gotten skewed. And he, in this one question, exposes this issue of priority And he says this. He says, Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take that privilege from her. Man, I want Jesus to say that about me, that Jessica chooses to sit at his feet because it's a choice, isn't it? It's a daily choice, and there are so many things that want to pull our attention away from sitting at the feet of Jesus, especially in our modern world. There's There's things things of family, and there's good things, there's beautiful things, and yet they still take us away from choosing to sit at the feet of our Savior, which is where we get cleansed by the water of the Word. He says, I won't take this privilege from her. The other day, I was, I've got two toddlers, as many of you guys know. I've got two toddlers, and so it can be super busy in my house. And so I find that the best time for me to sit at the feet of Jesus, open up my Bible, pray be with him is before they wake up because then the tornado starts right and I just I can't slow it down until they go to bed and so I try to get up and read my bible and one day this last week I was opening up my bible I was reading the word of God and as I was just allowing the water of the word to come into my own life to come into my own heart this thought popped up inside of me about something that someone said that I was irritated by I know, I know, I know, I'm, I'm confessing, confessing to all of life. you. There, there was something that someone said, said and it irritated it. me. And, and I was, I was like, like, why is this coming, this coming up right now and when I'm like, like sitting and I'm trying to receive from God, God. and then and it, it hit it me, I'm being washed, washed right now. That there's, but there's this issue, issue in my, my heart. heart, there's, there's some, some unforgiveness, unforgiveness in, in my heart about something that someone said that bothered me and the Holy Spirit's bringing it to my remembrance as I'm in his presence because I need to release that person, I need to forgive them and I need to let this go and speak blessing over them. And so just right there in my chair, you know, 6.30 in the morning as I'm with Jesus, I'm just like, God, forgive me. Forgive me that I've been holding on to this. I declare blessing, I declare prosperity, I declare favor over this person. I am not gonna hold on to this anymore. What was happening? I was being washed by the water of the word because there was just a little bit of filth on me because I'd taken offense. Now, how many of you know that happens often? The other morning, as I was reading some of the news, now, I am a person of faith, but after reading article after article and social media posts after social media posts about the coronavirus, wasn't that I felt fear, but I just felt this little bit of anxiety. And I'm like, what is What is that? Like, I'm, I'm not worried, but what is this anxiety? Well, I've just been feeding myself all the news, and I believe in being informed, okay? I do. And so, it's not about not seeing it, but it's about my response to it. It's about as I'm letting it in, what am I doing with it? And I felt like the Holy Spirit just showed me, you have to pray and declare, my goodness, every time you begin to open up the media right now so that it doesn't infect you in your heart and your perspective. And so I've been trying to do it every time I see, and we're, you know, we're from the States. And so right now there, like everything on my social media feed is about what's going on that even as I open that up and see my friend's post, that I declare blessing, I declare God's favor, I'm declaring healing and restoration, I'm declaring wisdom over the government, that I am using the power of prayer and I'm combating all of these things that are coming in my eyes and ears. We have to be cleansed. You know what's interesting is that Jesus told his disciples, he said at the end of after he washed their feet, he said, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. But he says this, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. How do we wash one another's feet? We can serve one another. We ought to serve one another. In every opportunity, the word says, do good to one another. But what is coming out of us that is water? It's the word. It says, out of our bellies should flow rivers of living water. That as the word of God comes in and has a cleansing effect in my life when I read it, that when I go to work and I'm talking to someone just like James talks about, there's a flow of rivers of living water coming out of me. And let me tell you, people are thirsty right now. They are thirsty. If there is ever a time for us to be people who are in the word of God, allowing it to renew us and cleanse us so that it again can flow out of us, it is right now. What's your flow like? What's the flow coming out of you so that when you bump into people at the grocery store and they just start talking about how crazy it is, what do you say? Do you just kind of agree with it because that's a social norm? Or do you speak words and it doesn't have to feel Christianese or religious, but you speak words of life that come from Scripture that can bring peace to that person in that moment? We have an opportunity, but unless we've got water flowing into us, we won't have the water we need to flow out of us. Can you stand with me?